Hi there, I'm Michelle Musi, the irreverent, feisty, but irresistible author of Love Capades. And I'm Sally Kaplan, Michelle's partner in crime as her editor and clever co-host on this audio adventure. Welcome everyone to the Love Capades podcast. Welcome to episode five of the Love Capades podcast. Last time, Michelle had returned from Italy and found a job right up her alley in the international arena. There, she encountered more foreign flirtations, plus one rascal named Jack. She went back to Italy again, and en route had a harrowing experience in Switzerland. Now, let's check out what escapades ensued this time in the land of Latin lovers. The next chapter is called Love Roman Style. Luckily, I was in the land of Latin lovers, so it didn't take long for me to fall into another intriguing relationship. One evening, Martine and I were strolling down the Via Veneto around the corner from our well-placed digs. Soon, a Porsche with two attractive guys began tailing us as we walked. Martine was veering toward the curb, and I was being my usual aloof self, staring straight ahead. Finally, the car pulled over, and Martine began to chat up the cuties inside. She convinced me finally to get into the car, as we'd been invited out for a drink. Up we sped to a romantic outdoor restaurant overlooking the twinkling lights of Rome. I remember we all ordered Sambuca, a colorless, anise-flavored Italian liqueur. There was one tall, dark-haired fellow, and then there was Sandro. He was blonde with brown, doe-like eyes, and definitely molto bello. For some reason, he seemed to be more interested in my roommate, who frankly was quite long in the tooth by then and much older than Sandro. I didn't get it. I thought, he should be flirting with me. Conversation turned to the Italian Open tennis tournament taking place that very week. Arthur Ashe and Charlie Passarell, whom I had a huge crush on and had seen play, were doubles partners. Sandra was a big tennis fan, and to draw his attention, I led him to believe that I knew Ash and Passarell. A little fibby is okay in the name of love, right? The pickup date wound down, and we were escorted safely back to the Putana pad. Phone numbers exchanged, off the Porsche zoomed. By this time, I had a job right around the corner at the offices of a wild Greek man who sold marine products internationally. I'll never forget him, or how to spell his name. Spirodian Economides. What a mouthful. Again, I was his secretary. When it came time to write letters in English, I would correct his spelling and grammar, which sent him into a rage. God forbid that a woman should correct him about anything. For this and many other reasons, he yelled at me with arms flailing. Since I wasn't wed to the job, I yelled right back at him. <laughs> Those scenes were pretty hilarious, actually. It isn't often that I am cowed by a man. Well, 
maybe when I am under his spell, then I can be a pussycat. Italian work hours are usually something like 9 o'clock in the morning to 1 o'clock in the afternoon with a three-hour break, resuming from 4 to 8. Not a schedule that made any sense at all to this American girl, but there was not a thing I could do about it. Those three hours were meant to go home, eat a leisurely lunch, and take a nap. From my point of view, there was a, that was just a dead zone. Niente da fare. Nothing to do. You couldn't even shop as the stores were all closed. I'm sure many Italians tucked their nefarious affairs into this time frame, making the dead zone come alive. But I wasn't so lucky that way. During one of those boring breaks, I heard the payphone ring on the wall down the hall. So I ran to pick up the receiver and shazam, it was Sandro. He explained that he'd been calling every day since we'd met and left messages, many messages. Putana landlady up to her old tricks. He wanted to invite Martine and me to dinner at his beach house in Ostia that very night to join several of his friends. Yes, he was a rich young Roman. His mother owned a shoe store at the Trevi Fountain, and they were well-heeled. <laughs> Bad pun. The Burgundy Porsche arrived to fetch the two of us that evening, and we rocketed to Sandro's beach house right along the water. The pad was full of young Italians, all in a party mood. There was a lot of good wine flowing, and once again, the aphrodisiac of pastas, spaghetti alla carbonara, was being prepared in the cucina. But Sandro still wasn't paying one iota of attention to me and continued to engage Martine. I was puzzled, and let's face it, a bit annoyed. Once we'd eaten dinner and there was a lull in the festivities, Sandro approached me and took me by the hand. He silently guided me across the street to the beach and walked me toward the surf. He stopped then turned to face me. It was here that he confessed it was I all along with whom he was fascinated, but he'd been too shy to act upon his attraction. I was both surprised and delighted. This finally made sense. So with the waves lapping onto the sand, he drew my lips to his and kissed me. A long, arousing kiss that promised things to come. This was to be the start of another Italian romance, much different in intensity than that with Nicola, but carefree and fun. Speaking of Nicola, I should say that once I was walking again and working for the crazy Greek, I did every possible thing in my power, short of hiring a private investigator, to reconnect with Nicola. I called and I wrote over and over. I tried the hospital, his parents' address, and anything else I could imagine. With absolutely no luck. What had happened to him? It had only been two years, even less than that, since his letters had stopped, and I was quite sure that he must still be in Palermo practicing medicine. I knew in my heart that he must still care for me. I had visions of that creepy little shadow Marika intercepting every missive now that she had no doubt convinced him to marry her. 
I was heartbroken, truly. So when Sandra proclaimed his affection, I was open to see where it would lead. But I never stopped longing for my rospo and wondered if I would ever see him again. Sandro proved to be a fun dalliance for the time I remained in Rome. There was not nearly the passion I had with the Sicilian doctor, but with all relationships, there was something to learn about love. Upon reflection, I'd have to say, it has to do with going for what you want. Hiding behind shyness or whatever fear you might have doesn't land the prize. Dread of rejection isn't a good reason either. As they say, nothing ventured and nothing gained. Had Sandro not finally spoken up, we never would have connected and had all the fun that we did have. There was one memorable quirk about my Roman lover. He had a crooked weenie. I discovered this the first time we made love. A few days after the big confession, Sandro took me for a spin in that Porsche, and we ended up back at the beach house, alone this time. Time for the seduction scene. Once between the sheets, it was hard to miss the erection with a hook. <laughs> I imagine this might have contributed to his shyness. Regardless, we managed to make it work and to enjoy one another in and out of the sack. Two other notable things occurred during my sojourn in Rome. One sunny day, while walking briskly down the Via Veneto toward the Putana pad, I heard a man calling out behind me, Signorina, mademoiselle, young lady, the insistent voice repeated. Once I'd reached the safety of my apartment building, I turned to find out what all the commotion was about. It was an older man, Natalie attired, mind you, I was 24, so he seemed ancient, trying to get my attention. He wanted to take me to lunch, or so he said. Per usual, my initial internal response was, are you kidding me? The gentleman went on to explain that he was the CEO of Smith Barney, a well-known stock brokerage, in Rome to conduct business with the Vatican. That and his persistence finally got me to agree to meet him for lunch the next day. I had begun to figure out by this time that saying no all the time to what is offered would lead to a very dull life. Still, the whole episode was suspect from the start, as he would soon admit to me his wife was ensconced in their suite a few steps away at the Savoy Hotel. We met in a Tony restaurant way above my means at the time, and here was the gist of his proposal. He offered me $10,000 to fly to Monte Carlo with him, where I could use the money to gamble at the famous casinos. Seriously, I couldn't believe my ears. $10,000 in the 1970s is worth north of $65,000 in today's dollars. However, it didn't take long to interpret the offer. I was going to have to sleep with this emboldened relic. The money may have persuaded many, but I wanted no part of prostituting myself in this way. So I said, no, thank you. Putana landlady would have been so proud had she known. Mr. Smith Barney Man was openly chagrined at being rebuffed, 
but I had my self-esteem intact, which I'm sure you agree is far more valuable than any amount of money. The other strange thing that happened during this sojourn in Rome included one of the participants from the IOC conference I'd been a part of the year before. It involved an ambassador from Liberia, Emmett Harmon, whom I accidentally encountered one day. He, too, invited me to lunch. When I explained that I'd been working in Rome but was about to fly back to California, for some reason he asked which airline I was using. When he learned it was Icelandic, he went into orbit and said he could not allow that. In his next breath, out of the wild blue yonder, he proposed marriage to me on the very spot. I thought, are you insane? Turns out this was not the only time such an off-the-wall proposal came my way. It was the appropriate ones later on that I had a hard time generating. Anyway, once I'd convinced him marriage wasn't in the cards, he whisked me to the American Express office and bought me a first-class ticket on Pan American Airlines. Little did he ever know that I circled back, cashed that ticket in, pocketed the considerable difference in money, and then flew home on Icelandic. Stubborn me. While in Rome, I had reapplied to Fletcher in Boston and also applied for a Master's of Education at Stanford. There had been a two-month mail strike in Italy, something that happened far too often. Italy is a land of many charms, and I am one of its biggest fans. But if you're into efficiency, I recommend you choose Germany or Switzerland instead. Because of the strike, it wasn't until just a few days before my departure that I learned I had been accepted both places. I'd finally called my mother, in those days it was very expensive to call home, to ask her why I hadn't heard anything about grad school. She said, well, dear, you got into both places, but you must let them know by tomorrow. Immediately, I felt a great pressure to figure out what to do. After all, the decision would dramatically alter the course of my entire life. So I sat down and wrote out the pros and cons of each choice on a legal-sized yellow pad. The winner was Stanford. When I look back on this decision, it confounds me in so many ways. I could live and work in a foreign country, but for some reason, I couldn't imagine myself living in Boston. What was that about? I believe an important element in the choice had to do with keeping my independence. I decided that as a diplomat, it was likely I'd be assigned to places I might not want to go. I've never liked being told what to do if it goes against my grain. I then rationalized that as a teacher, I could travel during the summers, thereby keeping alive my penchant for the international. It turns out this is not a good reason to pursue a career. For the most part, I never enjoyed teaching high school, which is where I ultimately ended up. My mind often wonders what life would have been like had I gone to Boston. For instance, the former governor of New Mexico and politician Bill Richardson was in the class I would have been in at Fletcher. I've often fantasized that we would have married which would surely have led to an exciting life. 
Alas, I didn't get to marry Bill, but ended up with another fellow instead, who was not nearly as exciting. Quel dommage. But then we have to live with the choices we make, doing our best not to lament what could have been. So, Michelle, wow, that was that segment was shorter than some of the others, but boy, was it packed with stories and men and episodes and adventures and sadness and longing and fun. Packed. (laughs) Short but sweet. You know how to pack it. Short but more than sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Provocative. Provocative, yeah. I do have a few questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So back to the very beginning of the episode that you just read. When you and Martine are walking down the street in Rome and you realize you're being followed by two young men in a Porsche, I was a little surprised when you said you were being your usual aloof self, staring straight ahead. (laughs) Were you really trying to ignore them? I mean, what were you like in Rome as these various men were trying to pick you up? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess that's kind of a tricky question, Sally. You know, yes, I was an adventurous young lady, and here I was in Rome, and I loved a man, obviously. But I also, I think I had that instinctive female thing that you played a little bit hard to get. (laughs) Whereas Martine was desperate to find a man, so she wasn't playing the same role. But I also think part of that reaction had to do with my residual fears around men, you know, all that baggage that I had carried forward, which was pretty much gone when I was in Italy. But it was still back in the background. So I think it's a complicated response. Bottom line, I did get in the car. <laughs> Bottom line, you did. Yes, you did. And it seems like in the end, you were glad you did. So yep. then there was Sandro, the one you were clearly attracted to. But he was showing, demonstrating at the time, no interest in you. He seemed to be all over Martine, which clearly puzzled you, given she was older. And I, I think you said something like long in the tooth. <laughs> but the part that I loved is when you're trying to get his attention and you actually lied a little bit. You fibbed and you said that you knew the... <gasps> fibbed. Fibbed. Fibbed, which is a small lie. Yes, white lie. Um, So I wanted to grab his attention. So tell us a little bit more about that. Is it fair to fib when it comes to love? Well, here we were in this very romantic place, and we were sipping our sambuca. And Sandro, whom I was interested in at this point, was paying attention to Martine. And I was mystified, a bit stupefied, and pissed. (laughs) So I thought, well, what can I do to draw his attention? And he had told us he was interested in tennis, and the you know, the Italian Open was going on. So I I had watched Passerelle and Ash play tennis when they were partners at UCLA. And I had seen them on the tennis court. And I Passerelle was absolutely gorgeous. So I had a crush on him. Anyway, so I told I told Sandro, Well, I know Charles Passerelle <laughs> and Arthur Ashe. And that did get his attention briefly. 
briefly. So it worked for a moment. I mean, <laughs> correct? Yeah. Anyway, I just like the part that for love you would do anything, even fib. I thought that was adorable. So then the other part that stuck out to me was this crazy Greek boss you had. You were a secretary, and I can see it almost like a film screen where he's yelling at you, and you're yelling right back, and he's your boss, for heaven's sake. I know. <laughs> and then you say, you know, you were not one to cow to a man. You did say that you didn't really give a shit about that particular job. But then you said something like, you never were one to cow to a man except if you were under his spell, and then you would be like a pussycat. So tell me a little bit about that. <laughs> well, I, I think it's true. I mean, if this Greek guy was just a wild man, and he would get so angry at me if I tried to correct his his grammar and things, <laughs> and he'd start to yell at me. And I get, I, I think, well, what the hell, you know? And I'd yell right back at him. <laughs> and that's the part that kills me, like 24 years old. <laughs> well, and you know what's funny is when I finally stopped working for him, at the end, he 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 gave me a bonus. But he said, it, he said, it would have been much bigger had you not yelled at me so much. <laughs> really hilarious. I know. So, but if if I'm like interested in a guy, you know, if I have the hots for him, then I'm going to at least dial it back because I'm not a dolt. I know that men don't like to be overwhelmed or shown up or, you know, whatever. <laughs> so at least temporarily, I, I try to, you know, dial myself back. Although it doesn't last it doesn't last. I was going to say it also speaks to the time a little bit. I mean, now women and men, they're so much more equal in so many more ways than when you were the secretary to this Greek guy. You had a lot more nerve than a lot of young women in that day and age would have is really what's standing out to me. Oh, my God. I think that's true. Yes. A lot of chutzpah. A lot of chutzpah. You like to find chutzpah. Okay, then, <laughs> then cut to the part where Sandro finally admits his interest in you. I, that scene on the beach, I, I love that scene. I, I just love that scene. Do you want to take us back there a little bit, or do you want to go straight straight to the oh, Ben no. Weenie no <laughs> No, I'd be happy to take you back to that scene. It was so sweet and adorable and romantic and satisfying because, you know, I'd been perplexed about why he was paying attention to Martine. So after dinner, after that wonderful spaghetti a la carbonara, you know, that aphrodisiac of pastas, he came up to me and he silently took my hand. And his house was right across the street from the beach. And there was this open beach area. And he walked me to the surf, turned to me, and confessed that he had, he liked me all along. I mean, it was just, imagine how I must have felt. I was so happy. And then he gave me this incredible kiss. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, really, those are the moments in life, that the romantic moments that are just High, it, they would be on the highlight reel of my life. And that was one of them. But I love something else you said during that time. Upon reflection, you're thinking about him. And you're saying, you know, if you don't go for what you want, you if you hide behind your shyness, you don't get the prize. You don't 
you don't land on the delight that life also can give you. And I like that you were seeing it kind of from his perspective too. Had he not finally spoken up, he never would have connected to you and neither of you would have had the fun you did, right? Well, you know, one of the lessons I've learned over these many decades, and I've learned it, you know, from different perspectives, but at that point I was becoming aware that if you said no to what was offered to you in life, you'd have a really dull, boring life. And you know, he was too shy to approach me initially, but then he finally got the courage to go for it. And I guess the lesson I'm alluding to here is go for it in life. Don't hold back. You know, if somebody says no to you, that's fine. Let them say no. But if you don't go for it, if you don't put yourself out there, if you don't pursue your dreams or what you want or what you desire, then you are going to have a freaking dull life. <laughs> well, it brings to life nothing ventured, nothing gained in, in a stark, in a lovely stark way. So then you did in, include in your episode, this lovely dalliance, as you called it, with Sandra, which sounds like it was not just a dalliance. You had a real connection, bent weenie and all. <laughs> and, and it reminds me so much of those silly commercials they have with all the bent vegetables. You know, <laughs> you mean those cucumbers? <laughs> the cucumbers and the pickles and the... <laughs> yeah. oh. But what I was going to say is what also was deepening about this chapter is here you are having this lovely, fun adventure with Sandro, but your heart is still aching for Nicola, and you compare the two relationships a little, but it doesn't make you not want Sandra. You're, you're still open to an adventure with Sandro, but tell us a little bit more about when you started searching for Nicola and, and the pain in the discovery when you couldn't find him. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, that was one of the biggest mysteries of my entire life. You know, we'd had this incredible love affair, and he had professed that he was going to come to California, which he didn't do in the end. But here I was back less than two years from the time we had been together, and very much closer to the time his letters had stopped. And I was in Rome again. So, of course, I wanted to find Nicola. I wanted to reconnect. I wanted to start up our relationship again. And I tried everything I could think of, letters, phone calls, whatever, whatever, over and over. And it was as if he had dropped off the face of the earth. I, I could never figure that out. And so I imagined that Marika had gotten her hooks into him that he was married and that she was intercepting all calls and letters. Or maybe his naughty brother, Antonio, you know, <laughs> the letters I sent to his family. And you know what? I've never, ever learned the answer to that. So it was heartbreaking. And did being with Sandro at that time alleviate some of the heartbreak? Well, sure, because I, I was, you know, my attention was diverted. I was a young you know, woman in Rome having a relationship with this gorgeous Sandro with his Porsche and his beach house. And, you know, I was thinking this morning about this. I never, ever went to that shoe store. <laughs> <laughs> his mother, they were rich, and his mother had this shoe store at the Trevi Fountain. And I was thinking this morning, well, why didn't I go do a little shopping? 
<laughs> anyway, I had I had a great time with Sandro, but it, he wasn't Nicola. He was Sandro. It was a different different kind of relationship. Yeah. If there's, it sounds like you weren't as fully in love with him as you were with Nicola. No, I was in I was in, in like with him. Yes. <laughs> okay. So then there's this part later on in the episode that you it's so insane, Michelle, what happened to you. That CEO from Smith Barney who happened to be in Rome and his proposal to you. Oh, oh my god. My god. I'm I'm impressed by how you handled it. You must being so young, you must have been so shocked. Sally, I, again, this period of time is full of these inexplicably bizarre and amazing experiences. I mean, I was walking down the street and there was this man behind me yelling out these things, trying to get my attention. And I, again, was ignoring him until I got to the safety of the entrance to my apartment building where I turned around and there he was. You know, he was obviously very well attired, but he was ancient in my opinion. (laughs) And he wanted to take me to lunch and I wasn't going for it. I wasn't having it. But he was persistent, and when he told me he was the CEO of Smith Barney, I kind of thought, well, okay, <laughs> you know, maybe th- maybe there's a business opportunity or something. So I met him for lunch the next day, and when he offered to give me $10,000, I was speechless for a moment until I got my bearings, and of course, then I figured out what it was really about. obviously he had a lot of money, but good grief, good grief. I'm hearkening back to you, go, maybe there was a business arrangement. Yeah, I guess he wanted a business arrangement. Yeah, right, right, a a sexual business arrangement. Exactly. Anyway, I'm proud of you for being at that age, kind of getting what this was all about and how you handled it. Yeah, well, he was pissed. He was not happy that I had the temerity to say no to him. But in retrospect, I really believe some girls in my position might have said yes to $10,000. And he had a wife next door in the next door hotel, right? I know. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know how men are. Do they care about that? It's the rare man who is completely faithful. So anyway, I said no, and that was that. And But it's... It's one of those notches on my love belt. <laughs> that, yeah, it was a notch that didn't, the hole didn't go all the way through. <laughs> no pun intended. That's good, Michelle. You're a crazy woman, you. Okay, and the oh. next one, the next one, the, the guy, the, the Liberian, please, he asks, he asks you to marry him on the spot. What was going on with this next guy? (laughs) Sally, another totally inexplicable, wild hair, crazy thing. So I'm having lunch with, with this guy whom I'd met at this big fancy conference, and he proposes marriage to me. And I was incredulous. But upon reflection, I have to say, that I'm sure a man in his position, here he was a mucky muck from Liberia, <laughs> very male, very macho, very used to getting his way. And I would have represented a trophy wife, a, a young blonde California girl as his wife. That would have improved his male stock 
But, oh you know, I, I, I can't explain what the hell was going on. Oh, my God. But, uh, I, again, I said, no, thanks. No, thank you. I think, you know, you know, that saying, you know, it's just lunch. Maybe <laughs> Maybe with you, it's always not just lunch. It's going to lead well, to yeah, yeah, exactly. We had the lunch with the $10,000 offer, and then we had the proposal of marriage. And that happened within a month. You know, I mean, here we are. So. And then I love the, the, the little addition you add in that part of the story where I think you said something like, you know, I had other marriage proposals later in life, but not never, never the ones you wanted to come from the ones that you wanted. <laughs> well, it's true. You know, I had these off the wall proposals, but <laughs> did I have a proposal from a wonderful, from my soulmate? Let me just say this, not yet. <laughs> There you go. Not yet. Good girl. So then a striking part of the episode to me was you're you're facing this opportunity again between two wonderful grad school choices. Fletcher came back and so did Stanford, which keeps coming back to you in your life. And you chose Stanford. And I got a sense that you still have some regrets about that decision. Tell me a little bit more about that. It's one of those things that I've never been able to fully explain to myself to this day, because I would have had a very different life had I gone to Fletcher. And why I thought I couldn't handle going to Boston when I was flourishing in Rome, for heaven's sakes, I I did a lot of rationalizing in that decision. In other words, I wouldn't want to be under somebody's thumb, I said, if I were a diplomat and they sent me to Siberia, I wouldn't like that. So I think I'll just keep my autonomy and my independence. You know, I'm an interesting combination, I can say this now, of very adventurous and very provincial, very much a homebody, very much liking the safety of what I'm comfortable with. At the same time, I'm drawn to adventure. So there's a big schism. There's a big uh, earthquake fault inside me. And I think this Fletcher-Stanford conundrum really exemplifies that. But don't you also think, I mean, this is how I feel. I don't know if you agree or not, but you'll let me know. Is When you look back at decisions we made in our earlier life, And as adults, looking back, we might say, why didn't I make this other decision? If I go back to my earlier self and I put myself in the shoes of who I was then, what I thought about then, the lens through which I saw the world then, I probably would have made the same decision I made then. Do you ever think about that? Well, obviously, we cannot go back and make another decision. So I think it's in our best interest to address your question. To be happy with the decision we made because my world fa- famous fabulous therapist that I've had conversations with for many years he's always said to me you made the best decision you could at the time and be happy with it so i can't speculate about what i would have done over but i made the decision i made and that's the way it was but the way you end the episode, when you actually read to us, you know, the choices we make, we have to do our best not to lament what could have been. And I just 
think that your personality and this admirable quality of you that keeps coming through is your ability to go through difficult things in life, breakup of sad love affairs, and just picking yourself up again and moving on or making maybe the wrong decision about going to a certain school over another, but picking yourself up and moving on it. You just don't seem to let it get you as down as maybe I would have. So it's really admirable. Thank you, Sally. I think, you know, I'm by nature, I'm an optimist. I see the world through rose-colored glasses for the most part. I see a glass half full instead of half empty. And, you know, I I have a, a joie de vivre. I, I see the world as my oyster. And so to just roll over after a, a difficult situation didn't seem natural to me. So it's just in my nature to be that way. And it's, and it's just delightful to hear it in these reads because, I mean, the, the humor in some of the situations that came <laughs> up in this episode, oh my God. I mean, really, I don't remember exactly where we're going from here, but I can't wait to hear more. I'm sure you have others. Oh, thank you, Sally. Well, we'll see, we'll see the ensuing episodes. <laughs> so goodbye for now. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Love Capades podcast. If you'd like to submit questions, please send them to michelle at lovecapades.com. And that's spelled M-I-C-H-E-L-E at L-O-V-E C-A-P-A-D-E-S dot com. Also check out our Facebook page and website, both called Love Capades, for fun facts and groovy visual stuff. I am the author, Michelle Musi, and my co-host is Sally Kaplan. The Love Capades podcast is skillfully and playfully produced by Studio Pod Media. You can find them at studiopodsf.com.